Yo, we hitting hyperspeed across the finish line. Lights on the ship with like it's Christmas time. Uh, real recognized, real homie. And you've been looking unidentified. The government lied, the government lied. Why is it classified if there's nothing to hide? That's why we're looking for answers up in the sky. It's the theory. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of The Theory. Today we have a special guest on the show, Jesse Peak. Jesse is a current MUFON field investigator up in Pennsylvania and is also the founder and author over at UFO Encounters Worldwide, which is an awesome website and podcast you can find on Anchor, Spotify, and a bunch of other platforms, as well as his websites. And it's just all kinds of great UFO history, some up-to-date cases, and just a lot of great stuff. But I'm going to let him tell you guys about that when he gets on here. But uh, as always, today's show is brought to you by CreepyTikiTee.com. They have all your botanical needs you could possibly ever imagine, healing herbs, all kinds of great stuff. Go check them out. We are also sponsored by the Graveyard Goons YouTube channel, which is a crazy, insane, hilarious prank call show. And they do live prank call shows. They have themes. They dress up. And it's, it's a great atmosphere. So make sure you guys go check them out. All of those links will be in the description of this video, as well as Jesse's links to his website, podcasts and other things like that so let's get into this all right everybody welcome jesse peak to the theory jesse peak is a mufon field investigator out of pennsylvania he's been doing it for quite a bit of time and uh welcome to the show jesse what got you into ufos and this kind of subject well thank you for having me on the show i'm honored to be here um i've always you know, I've always looked up in the sky and wondered that there was other things going on all besides us, different planets. Um, wondered that there was always life out there. Um, and then once I start watching some stuff on the TV, like Ancient Aliens, they had different UFO shows. And Search of was one of the big ones back in the day. Um, you know, I, I, I really just started listening to everything, getting the history down real good. And then one day I found MUFON back in like 2017, 2018. Um, and I became a member through them. And then I seen that they had a field investigator program. Um, and so right away that, that was, that hooked me right away. Um, be a part of something a little bit bigger than yourself, just like when I joined the military. Um, so we got involved in that, uh, did a lot of training, uh, to get through and become certified. Um, you got to take a hundred question quiz. It's like an exam online. Um, they have a whole um, online school with different certifications in astronomy, space exploration, um, and cases into investigation. So it's a pretty uh, pretty long process, and uh, I've been investigating cases ever since. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've uh, I've actually looked at. Uh, I told you before I've I've talked to Tom Bowden, the Oregon MUFON director. Yes, and. Here, when I get some extra free time, I actually want to do the quiz and get certified to be a field investigator. Okay. So that way, it's almost like you, you once you become the field investigator, it seems like you don't have to search for the cases so hard yourself. They almost will come to you. Absolutely. You, yeah, yeah. You can kind of like pick through and go through stuff a lot easier than just sitting out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sky watching and stuff is amazing. It's way cooler to see something firsthand. But to hear about all your local cases, I imagine, is is pretty cool. And you're out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Yep, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yep. Nice, nice. How uh, how often do you get reports out there? Is it pretty pretty common? So that's another reason I uh, wanted to be a field investigator. Pennsylvania is totaled seventh all time out of all 50 states. Um, so we have 
we have a pretty big hotspot for a whole state, and there's a lot of UFO activity going on. Um, and that rank comes from Newfork, the uh, National UFO Reporting Center. Um, okay. So we're, we're when every month uh, they give the sighting reports out in the MUFON Journal, and Pennsylvania is always within the top seven. So uh, right. there's a lot of activity going on, and ever since the government uh, released that document in the report and came out and said UFOs are real, um, cases have been on the uptick. Um, so we're actually very busy. We've got a lot of new people coming in for memberships and joining to be field investigators. So it's pretty cool. Wow. So yeah. now what, what's the, uh, what's the routine per se for a MUFON field investigator? You said you get your monthly reports in, uh, you have a bunch of cases. What's your, what's your plan of action from that point? Do you go talk to all these people? Do you go meet anybody in person? What's, what's kind of the deal there? Yeah, uh, whatever the witness feels is more comfortable. If they're, they want to do it through email or over the phone or in person, it's completely up to them. Um, now if it's a CE1 where it's just kind of like information based or you just have a photo, you could do it over the phone or email. Um, now if you have like physical evidence and stuff like that, um, you definitely want to get out there and be boots on the ground and, and collect the evidence and send it off. MUFON has their own lab where we can send all of our stuff and get DNA tested um, and all kinds of materials and organic testing going. Um, so we could, we want to get out there right away um, within 24 hours within a, any case that has any kind of um, uh, evidence. Um, with the CE1, you have up to 72 hours to contact a witness. And if it's a CE2, you have 48 hours. So it is based on however, um, however the case is and whatever the details of the case are is how fast we report and how we report. Interesting. Um, what, what about recently? Have you guys had anything? Have you had anything recently that you've worked on that's pretty wild? Any UFO sightings out there? Yeah. Um, the one I'm working on now is probably the best one I've ever had since I've joined MUFON. Um, this lady was at the pool. Um, she was there with, uh, I guess another adult and three children. Um, one of the children pointed to the sky, seeing something, uh, an object in the sky moving around. When she panned the camera up, she actually took two videos and a still photo of the, of the, uh, the sighting. Um, and when I looked at the, looked at the video and I just watched it fully through, you could see three black objects moving into formation, um, going to the west in the video. Um, and one of the objects, uh, goes out of formation, flies back, does some erratic motions, and then goes right back into formation. Now, when I stopped this video frame by frame, I actually counted 16 to 18 objects that were behind the the clouds that you couldn't see when it was just still frame going by. But once you stop it frame by frame, you could see them starting to appear. And then when you play it, you could really see it if, you, if your eyes get focused. Um, so it's pretty incredible. Um, and I've ran the background to see if it was any Starlink satellites or um, any astronomical uh, weather phenomenon or anything like that. I've seen seen if it was the ISS, um, and nothing has come back to match that time. Um, also, no flights. I checked Flight Radar 24 to see if any helicopters or airplanes or even military uh, planes are doing any formations, and that didn't look like any uh, normal airplane as it would be anyway. So um, it looks like we have that 5% that we look for. Uh, 95% of stuff can be explained, but that 5% is the stuff that we're interested in, and that looks like yeah. it's going to rank under that 5%. So Yeah, that doesn't sound like anything normal <laughs> that I've ever seen in the skies. And I, I like what you just brought up about Starlink. One of my favorite things is when I get on Facebook or Instagram and I see these UFO videos, people will comment Starlink under anything. Anything <laughs> they see that's UFO-related, they say Starlink. 
But as soon as a actual video of Starlink comes out with a satellite chain, everybody's screaming UFO. And I'm like, you guys got it mixed up. I, uh, I check those satellite trackers, the ISS as well. I love looking at that stuff. I've got some cool recordings of it. Yeah. I actually had a, a Starlink watch party with all of my neighbors. They all know I'm into UFOs and stuff like that. They think it's really cool. Okay. And so about two months ago, we had a really bright Starlink day. And when they came, two of them actually came by the 25 chain and I think the 18 chain, if I'm, if I'm correct. And, uh, it does look absolutely nuts, but it's, you can tell. It's just a perfect straight line of string of lights. None of right. them are moving out of formation. They're just a perfect straight line. They go across the sky and you don't see them anymore. And right. uh, it, it's pretty obvious it's Starlink, but like I've seen people post videos of, of something that looks like, and I can't verify the flying saucer video or whatever it was that I see. Like, and people will be like, that's Starlink. And I'm, I'm like, have you ever Googled what Starlink looks like? Even right. if this UFO video is a fake UFO video, this is not Starlink. You're, that's way off. And so that always tripped me out. But, uh, but that's interesting, man. So you said you've seen about 16 objects once it was actually yeah. slowed down. Just that's the ones a- that I could count were 16. So that there's possibly even more than that. Um, so it, uh, it could be something a lot bigger than what we know of right now. So, but it's still under investigation. Um, we have another astronomer, uh, that actually is a field investigator in Pennsylvania. I'm going to send him over the videos and have him take a look at it this, this way and get an expert opinion um, on possibly what he thinks it is. But um, I think it's definitely a good one. So <laughs> pretty yeah, cool I, stuff. I, I think a research you're doing on this. It's a, it's a lot more hands-on. Now, me personally, I don't have, uh, I guess, the software down yet to be able to slow things down and, and really look at it. But it sounds like you guys over there at MUFON are, are pretty well connected. <laughs> You've got other people that are familiar with, with anomalies in the skies that could yeah. tell you this is a weather event, atmospheric event. But to me personally, anything that sounds like what you just described, I don't think is going to be easily explained off by a right. by swamp mass or anything like that. So <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> now, Pennsylvania. So I actually, uh, fun story. So I, I grew up in Maryland most of my life growing up. Okay. But at one point, for about two years, we lived down in Delta, Pennsylvania, which I believe is in uh, it's in Peach Bottom Township, and I think York County. Okay. And uh, there's a lot of slate cores in there. Are you a believer in Bigfoot? What, what's your yeah? What's your I'm, I'm open minded to just about everything: the paranormal, Bigfoot, UFOs. I'm open minded to it all. So okay, yeah, okay. Definitely. So back when I was about fourteen or fifteen, me, uh, a girlfriend at the time, my brother. And probably about six or seven of our other friends, there's a lot of slate quarries down there and stuff. And we wanted to go camping in one of them. And it was nighttime. And don't get me wrong, we were all, you know, younger teenagers and stuff. So we were probably semi-easily maybe freaked out about stuff in the woods. But to this day, I'm an avid hiker. I love being in the woods. I love camping. I never experienced anything like I experienced that night in Delta, Pennsylvania. We went in this slate quarry, went back maybe maybe about half a mile or so. And there's like a lot of cliffs. There's giant, like, like not puddles, but uh, like ponds of like quarry water and stuff. But we went back there about half a mile, set up camp, started a little fire. And we began to hear that it was the weirdest chain of sounds I've ever heard in my life. A squealing noise that you would almost sound like maybe like a fox crying or something. And immediately after, about three seconds after you heard the fox squeal, you would hear a loud, just like, like, it sounded like somebody took a boulder and threw it off a cliff onto, like, hard dirt. And, like, you could feel the vibration of how loud it was, and then you would hear a little bit of rocks crackling. 
and then about maybe 30 seconds after, you'd hear the the squealing noise again. Then you'd hear the loud boom. And this quarry has not been active for probably 20 years before I actually lived there. And right. we all were like, what, what, like, what is this? And so we are all a little freaked out. We're looking around and stuff and the noises actually got closer to us. So they were happening anywhere from between 30 seconds to a minute. They were happening between it. And we listened to it for about 20 minutes before we all ran out of this woods. And it would happen every 30 seconds to a minute. You'd hear the loud squealing noise and then you would, you would feel and hear the loud thud of what sounded like a giant boulder being smashed on the ground. Right. And so our friend's house was actually right outside of that quarry. And after we heard this about 20 times, it sounded like it was getting closer. We actually heard like what well, sounded almost like, uh, like rocks just rattling through, like somebody was running through it almost. And we all took off running out of the woods. We left the tent (laughs) up there. We left all our food and stuff up there that we brought up there. We left it all and we ran outside and we camped on my friend's trampoline until the next day. And then we all went back in there and got the tent and all that stuff. And to this day, I've never been able to explain it. And back then I was a kid. I wasn't really big into UFOs or Bigfoot or anything like that. And our minds were like, is this like a serial killer in the woods or something? (laughs) Yeah, right. About Bigfoot. As, as I got older, I talked to a lot of Bigfoot hunters. Um, one out here, Tobe Johnson, he uh, he does Strange Brow Radio, and he's he's got Owl Moon Lab, and they're finding all kinds of footprints and and just wild stuff. And like some of the noises that they hear that they think are Bigfoot are like very weird noises that I kind of attribute to what we heard. Right. And so to this day, I'm like, was there a Bigfoot in the Delta Pennsylvania woods? And now I hear about hot spots there. And all types of activity. I'm like, we, we might have like really encountered Bigfoot out there in the Pennsylvania right. woods. Because that area wasn't touched, you said, for like 25 years, right? So yeah, that's a perfect, movie, perfect place. <laughs> yeah, because that's originally that's what I'm, I'm thinking in my head logically. Like, is this a bulldozer? Is there something out here? But I, in my head, I'm like, well, it's 1 a.m. It's that I've never in my life seen yeah, a person. No. And we've been here a hundred <laughs> times. So none of it just made sense. And like, even like a rock slide or something, I thought about that, but it was such perfect intervals of time. It was almost like whatever made the squealing noise was making the big rock bang. That's the only right. thing that made sense because it happened every time after you heard the squealing noise. About three to four seconds after the squealing noise, you would hear the big bang. And so it was so crazy. Have you guys, uh, have you ever had any, uh, does MUFON get Bigfoot reports? Is that a thing that MUFON takes? No, we don't take Bigfoot. It's only UFO sightings um, and okay. abductions. We have an ERT team that deals with abductions. That's the experience or resource team. Um, but that's, yeah, we, it's a strict line before that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you personally ever talked to somebody in Pennsylvania that's experienced, you know, a Bigfoot sighting or anything of that? Yeah, um, the actual Pennsylvania Assistant State Director, he actually deals with Bigfoot. Um, he investigates Bigfoot sightings. So he deals with that on the side, which a lot of us, a lot of the investigators, we all do our side stuff too, you know what I mean? But all in all, we we get certified and get the training for MUFON, which is excellent, um, which helps with the investigations. But, um, yeah, he's real big into it. He's got it on his Facebook. He follows a bunch of different Bigfoot guys and investigate the stuff. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Sierra sounds. Have you ever heard the Sierra recordings? I don't, I, I actually know what you're talking about, but I don't think I've heard them. Yeah, you gotta, that, that right there made me start believing that Bigfoot was real. Um, that did it for me. Um, it was way back in, I forget the date, but it was years ago, decades ago. Um, and these guys used to get together and go out in the Sierra Mountains and they used to have their own little area where they never told anybody about. Um, and one night while they were there, they were hearing these sounds. 
And um, it, had, it continued to happen every time they went up there. So one time they bought a recorder and all the stuff, um, and the sounds are absolutely just like you described. You hear high pitches, you hear moans, you hear groans, and they're yelling and whooping. Um, and the whooping is one of the big things they do, and you hear the tree knocks. Um, and yep. you hear them getting closer to them. And they're in a uh, a hut made out of uh, wood that they built, you know what I mean? And, they're, and they they got their guns ready behind the door. They're, they were scared, you know. Um, and if you hear these sounds, it blows you away. Like, it really will freak you out. <laughs> I might have to so. check that out. I want to compare it because I still remember pretty clear in my head what it sounded like because I've never – I, I go camping all the time here in Oregon in like the Willamette National Forest, the Umpqua National Forest, and I, I've never heard anything like it. I want to go listen to that and yeah. see if it sounds remotely familiar to what I heard. That's I really interesting. <laughs> yep. so, so MUFON, you said they do investigate abductions. I've had a few yes. uh, possible abductions here on the show. Tom Reed uh, was part of the Berkshire's UFO incident yes. okay. up in Massachusetts, and I had him on the show talking about it. Have you guys had any recent abduction cases or possible abduction cases? Yeah, I mean, just about every month we we have um, uh, look at like in that report that I was telling you about where they give each state and the numbers, everything. Um, usually I look in there and there's usually like uh, 15 to 16 different landings that were seen. Um, and like you'll say anywhere from 10 to 15 entities that were observed um, and the abductions as well. Um, and the ERT team deals with that. You go on, instead of uh, filling out a regular report for a sighting on MUFON, you, you, you uh, fill out an experiencer age, and they'll get in contact with you, and they have hypnotherapists. Um, they have Kathleen Martin as a, count, uh, a contributor to that, the Betty and Barney Hill's niece. Um, so she's got, she's got a lot of information to help with people. Um, they have counselors so you can talk about it, get help with it, um, try to understand what happened to you, all that kind of stuff. And they do have, uh, I believe all kinds of different doctors in the medical field as well. Um, so for like implants and so on and stuff like that. Yeah. You can go on there and read about it. Um, see how many consultants are a part of it. That is way more intricate than I ever (laughs) imagined. So I have a, I have one sighting here in, in the Oregon MUFON thing. You can look up and stuff of a triangle formation. And I actually kind of remember that it did ask you two separate things, like if you saw something or, or something up close. But I did not know the team of MUFON had hypnotherapists, possible doctors yeah. and things like that. And you're saying this happens remotely often. That's kind of a scary thought. Yeah, people are, people fill yeah. these, these, uh, these experiencer forms out all the time. I mean, this is an ongoing thing. Every month we get new ones. Um, and it's good to have these. A lot. Of, that's the thing. People don't realize how big MUFON is and, and all the different things that we offer. Um, and it's all volunteer-based. So we do this, you know, for free because we're passionate about what we do. Um, just like the lab. No one knew that MUFON had a, a real, our own lab to test DNA and stuff like that. We also have our own dive team that can go underwater and find out all different uh, USOs, on un, uh, submergible, un, unidentified submergible objects. Um, we'll send a dive team out to any lake or ocean, and we'll have, send them down there to see if they can find anything. The ERT team, like I talked about, there's so – and now we have two main offices, one in California, and we just opened one up in Ohio. So we're trying to branch out and, and offer more things. We're in the process of building an app right now for your phone. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff that's happening right now that, that they're really trying to expand MUFON. That's huge. Yeah. That, uh, that, that makes me love more fun, MUFON more than I already did. I always thought MUFON was cool. Like I said, I wanted to be a field investigator, 
But right. that is that is a lot more than the face value of what a lot of people think MUFON is because right. originally I thought MUFON is okay. It's a team of volunteers that'll basically take a report for you and not go so far as to you know maybe come out and investigate and stuff. And that's that's intricate, man. That's a yeah. that's a whole that's like an agency. You're, yeah. You guys are the UFO agency for real. And that's the training is no joke either. The training is no joke either. I had to take that test. You get the manual. It's, it's like yay thick. You got to read through that. That comes with it. Um, and then you sign up for their university. Once you pass that test, then you have to take four different certification classes while taking three one-hour courses with the chief field investigator. And then once you're done that process, you're a field investigator trainee. And then they'll give you a couple of cases. Once you complete those, then you're on your own. So it's wow. not it's not nothing where people just take a test and they're okay. It's just yeah, yeah. We're yeah, all you, we're fully right. trained in everything that we need to do for investigations. So we're not just any old person investigating a case. You know, that's amazing, dude. That's yeah. actually really interesting. I think a lot of viewers are going to enjoy this because it's actually giving insight to what MUFON is, what they do, and hopefully some people can even get if they if they have the time to get involved and want to go sign up and, yeah. and take classes and stuff, dude. I would I would love to see a lot of MUFON field investigators. I'd I'd probably wear that hat everywhere I went after I get certified, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so um so back on the, the abduction subject, is there anything in like when you when you get your report, is there anything in say most abduction cases that seem the most common, I guess you would say maybe symptom or or, or event that happened to a, to these people that say they're abducted? Now, I don't really, I don't handle the cases for abductions. That's specifically for the ERT. Um, okay. but we, but I've done stuff on the side and I've done a lot of research on my own and I've talked to some of the people on the ERT team from going to different MUFON conferences and just being on virtual conferences with them and, and speaking with them. And there is, there's a lot of different similarities. Um, you know, uh, such as, you know, Everything when they when when they see a UFO, the communication is done telepathically. Usually, there's no communication verbally. Um, they'll take them up in the, in the craft, and many times it's it's not a bad thing that they're doing. They're usually if they're getting operated on, and they're they're just checking the person out. They don't hurt nobody most of the time. Um, and most and they'll also show them different things, such as where they came from, different star systems. We'll have people come back and they'll draw the different places that these ETs supposedly had shown them where they're from, um, so we can possibly get in contact with them in the future. Um, and they come back with all this information that it, it's it's mind blowing. You know what I mean? And this happens with a lot of cases. I would say about seventy five percent of cases are good, not malevolent. So most of the time, it's, right. it's on good terms. Now, um, now, when it comes to uh, the beings, like you said, some people, you know, may see actual, legit, just yep. alien beings. Uh, is there a common type? Is it all the same? And and what's your take on on the whole thing? Me personally, I'll just say I'm a believer that if there's aliens, there's more than one kind. I'm Absolutely. not. I've never gone so far into the the reptilian side of things and the rabbit hole. But uh, what what do you see as maybe the more common uh, alien being that people are witnessing? Okay, so there is the greys. We all know about the greys. They're about three to four feet tall, little greys. But then there's also the tall greys as well, which they can be anywhere from six to seven foot, some are eight foot tall. Um, And they say that the little ones are more usually they're organic in a way to where they're little drones, um, little ones that just do the hard work. And the tall ones are usually the leaders. Um, then we also have the reptilians. 
that would look like, uh, you know, any kind of iguana or something like that with scales on them. Um, and then we also have the Nordics, which look like, uh, tall whites. Um, tall white, uh, you ever seen, if you've seen an albino person, they would look similar to that. All blonde hair, completely white pale, um, usually blue eyes, you know, stuff like that. Those are the three main ones, the grays, the reptilians, and the Nordics that we get the most. Those are the top three. Um, but if you did want to go down that rabbit hole, MUFON did recently publish a book, um, and there's supposed, and the guy put in this book about 86 different species of ET, um, and he's done the research on them. Um, I don't know how far it goes. I, I, in my opinion, I just believe there's more than one, like you said, and those are the three main. I, I do believe there's more. I don't know how many, but if you do want yeah. to go down that rabbit hole, you can check his book out. It's on MUFON.com. Um, it's called The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac, um, and you can check out all that. Too. So I, I've got a fun question for you that kind of relates to this kind of stuff. So um, a guy that I follow, I've actually had on the channel before, Jeff Woolwine. He does this. Uh, he wrote a book, and he also does a show called Petroglyphs in the Sky, and it, it's basically relative to all the the natives and, and them possibly carving out what ended up being the Phoenix Lights and uh, and that sort of thing. His his theory on this stuff is that some of these UFO sightings are actually living beings themselves or spiritual entities, I guess you would say. And um, normally, I think when he refers to that, he's talking about like the the orange orb type ones that sometimes right. you see in formations or or some something like the Phoenix lights. Some people describe seeing the lights and not the craft itself, but just the actual lights and formation. Uh, what's what's your take on that kind of stuff? Do you think that could be a thing where some of these lights that people see are more on the the spiritual spectrum of UFOs, while some of them, like say the Nimitz or the Tic Tacs, are our actual technology UFOs from somewhere else. Right. Um, yeah, so we've had cases before where, you know, and, and you hear about these cases all the time. You'll hear about a major mothership craft, and you see these orbs come from the main craft, and they come down, and they usually fly around and, you know, uh, observe whatever they're sent down to look at. Um, it even happens with crop circles. You'll see the orbs come into the crop field, and the crop field automatically appears. Um, and there's many stories that these are the actual beings in a, in a type of orb, um, orb body coming down and doing their work um, without a physical actual body, you know, to, to appear in like an entity. Um, so, yes, I have heard that before, that these things are living things. Um, also, you hear in the paranormal, you see it a lot. Um, when yeah. you take different pictures or photos and you see the white, the white smoke or the, the little words in the photos. Um, and these are supposed to represent beings that have passed away sometimes, paranormal people will say. Um, so yes, I definitely believe, uh, I believe, I, I, I'm pretty open-minded with everything to the point where I believe just about anything is possible. Um, and I think that's definitely key in, in joining this field. You have to be open-minded, you know? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. That's a that's how I take. I'm very. Uh, I know a I know a lot of surface level information about a lot of subjects, and that's kind of how I am in the the UFO communities. I've heard probably every theory out there, right. and I've I've kind of I draw. I like seeing things. Like I right. like being able to on Skywatch. And honestly, I would say out of the two years that I've been Skywatching all the time, I've probably seen three things that are 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 hard to explain. The rest, some of them could be weird, but there's a chance they could be, you know, possibly, you know, something else. But um, 
but that's that's really interesting. Like, you do got to keep an open mind when it comes to this kind of yes, stuff because you have to. It's, a great, it's a great unknown. Nobody really knows for 100% sure, except for possibly some of the government. They might know. But <laughs> yeah. other than that, the general public, we don't know for 100% sure what any of it specifically is or why it's here or what it is. Now, um, in Pennsylvania, is there a more common type of UFO sighting? Um, I know you got, of course, you got triangles, flying saucers, orbs. What is the more common UFO sighting up there? Well, like I said, 95% of stuff can be explained. So most people are, when they report a sighting, they're, it's usually an airplane. It's usually a helicopter. Um, and sometimes it's a drone. And that's what most of the sightings have been coming out of our drones. People don't know how to recognize the new ones that come out, um, and they're not familiar with the way the lights work on them. And people do play tricks on people all the time, um, making people think that this is something else that it is. Um, like I did a case recently where the lady was looking out her window. She seen a red orb, and it was floating around. And then it went down behind the trees, disappeared. And when it came up, the light was ten times bigger. Now, what it came out to be is someone was flying a drone had their little mini light on, and when they went back behind the tree, they turned all their lights on, so when it came back up, the light looked bigger. You know what I mean? Um, and this lady's thinking, this is a, a UFO, you know, and, and I would think the same thing without any training as well. Locking all the windows. Right, so there's <laughs> it happens a lot, you know. And then people aren't familiar with, uh, when you shoot it, usually when you use any kind of camera, um, the camera will burn the light, so if it's a white light or if it's, you know, something like that, it'll burn red most of the time, orange, just red, so it can change the color. So if you're looking at something in a video and you're like, oh, look at this orange orb, it can usually sometimes be your camera burning the light um, through a mechanism through the phone, and it happens a lot. So when you see a helicopter and you're taking a video of it, you know, it looks like this red orb flying through the air. Um, but really, it's just the different little lights on a helicopter, and that's another thing that we get a lot. Together. Yeah, that makes yep. sense. That makes sense. I uh, here actually about a year ago. Um, I like I said, I've been into UFOs heavy for about two years. But before right. that, I watched Ancient Aliens and stuff like that, and always thought it was right. cool. But I never got involved. But um, one of one of the times last year when I was sky watching, uh, our power company here, their their name is Sub. They actually use a giant commercial drone that flies around and checks transformers here to see if the really? has like a camera on it or something. And I was looking out the window, and I saw the red and green light. And so I was like, hold on, let me grab my phone. I'm going to record this just in case. And I was like, it's not blinking the normal pattern that I see. We don't get much helicopters where I am in Oregon, but definitely planes and stuff. And I'm like, it's lower, and it's not blinking, and it's way slower because it's kind of hovering in one area, and then it started slowly coming across. And I'm like, this is weird. And so I, I posted it in a group, and I was like, anybody by chance catch this out here? And one of the workers actually from Sub messaged me, and he was like, hey, that's one of our drones that we use to check transformers and stuff. And I said, man, that is wild. Now, personally, I thought it had to have been somebody's drone, but it was larger than what you would normally see for a, a regular person's drone that they were flying around playing with. So I thought it was interesting. And when he told me that, I said, man, dude. I said, anybody out here that would have saw that and, like, really paid attention, they might have thought it was a UFO or something. Absolutely. It was just a drone and a, a commercial drone at that, which was really interesting. And I know police, a lot of police forces use that kind of stuff nowadays to, to yep. you know, track people down in searches and things like that. Yeah, so the that news is using them all the time. The news uses them. So, uh, so you personally, have you ever witnessed any UFO activity or had any close encounters of any kind? 
So there was one time that I, I believe that it was something because it's something I've never seen before, in my opinion. And my father also was with me when he's seen it. And he says he's never seen nothing like it his entire life. Um, now I'm very familiar with planes. I have books on military planes and I've researched them and I've been in the military myself. So I'm familiar with some of the vehicles that I've seen and worked on and all that. Um, and I know how formations of, uh, different airplanes work. F-15s, F-16s, um, even the cargo planes. Um, so we were driving down the street one day um, in the city. So you, normally you see aircraft all the time, especially because we have an airport not too, too far. Um, we're driving down, and my dad had pointed out in the sky, he said, what's that? What are those things up there? And they were kind of like goldish silver. Um, and there was four of them, and they were flying in a one behind the other, but over a tiny little bit each, and they were flying in that formation. Now, I know most airplanes, when they fly in a formation, it's usually in a V, and they're a little more spread out if they're going to follow one and one behind the other. You know, it's the way they were flying. They did different things. Um, and this is where uh, the project that I'm doing now for my website comes into play. Uh, a lot of sightings, you have a lot of malfunctions with electronics, and I had just gotten the phone. It was two weeks old. I tried to pull the phone out to record the sighting that we're having, and my phone locks up and will not work. I cannot unlock the phone, and I, and I just bought the phone. I had no problems with it since I got it until that day. Um, wow. So we're watching these things, and, and then they start doing different weird little motions in the formation. And it's like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, I'm trying to play with the phone. He says, look, and I look, and they start disappearing right before our eyes. And then in the video, you can only see the last one before it's gone out of view. And it's not like they, they flew away and disappeared. These things kind of just... Like a light switch. Yeah. Believe it or not, my personal sighting of the, the triangle formation that I saw here, that's exactly what happened. And I, I wish I was, I was remotely trained to know what a UFO was and to record the whole thing. But I basically got two clips of it. One, when I first seen the, the orbs or whatever, they were in a perfect triangle formation, but they were coming flat across the sky like that. Okay. And then they turned upwards like this, sat dead still. And that's when I started recording and I'm recording. I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm screaming for my roommate. The video is on my YouTube channel and it's absolutely hilarious. Most people get a kick of me. Just, I'm screaming. I'm going, Brady, Brady, there's a UFO outside. And I'm freaking out. And so I'm like, I, I got to run outside and I got to get a better video of this. And so I, I was filming it through my open window, which didn't have a screen in it. So it was like there wasn't anything in between it that could right. be reflecting or anything like that. Like it was there. And so I, I ended up running down the steps. And so I have a I tried starting to record while I was running down the steps. And when I ran outside, the very last thing you seen was them just disappearing. And I was like, oh, my God, dude. And she she's a nurse at a hospital, and she watched it, and she was like, I've never seen anything like it before. Right. And it was it was totally weird. And I've seen Chinese lanterns uh, one year, 4th of July, yes. in North Carolina, and somebody light them off. And they all just kind of float away in their own little direction. And I imagine people could definitely mistake a, a Chinese lantern for a oh, possible yeah. UFO. But, like, the way these were so – they had, like, a flight path when I first right. seen them coming across, and that's what caught my eyes, that they were moving. But then they just dead stopped and just sat in the most perfect triangle I've ever seen in the sky. And I was, like, I was so dumbfounded by it. But that same thing with them just just disappearing. I, I've right. never – what does that? Nothing does that. You no, know what I mean? not at all. And when you have things like 
disappearing on, on the on the snap of a finger or erratic motions with an object that don't fit a plane, helicopter, or a drone, you know you got something good if you have those two things. You know yeah. what I mean? Most likely it's something something like the phenomenon that we're looking into. So <laughs> now that brings me to Project Back Tech four oh four, which you were getting ready to talk about. Is that a is that a MUFON project or is that something you're doing all on your own? You're actually putting this together. Yeah, so I got my podcast. It's called UFO Encounters Worldwide, and I created the website for it as well, um, just to bring you know uh, attention to the podcast as well as my work that I do on the side, which I do my own investigations on the side as well. If people don't want to go through MUFON and they want someone personally they know to investigate their sightings, I do it. Even if they don't know me, sometimes it just we feel better to have you know someone that they know working with you. Um, sure. So then I also. I've just begun. I, I decided that I wanted to do my own type of research on my own. You know what I mean? To have my name behind it and do actual statistical fact-based work. And with my phone messing up that one time and then a lot of uh, investigations I've been doing, I'm finding out that other malfunctioning of electronics are happening. I thought, why not try to investigate how often this occurs during UFO sightings, and then maybe we can even predict the sighting right before it's about to happen. So what we're based on doing is we're going to find we're going to ask uh, anywhere from 200 to 300 people that report UFO sightings, and we're going to ask each person if they've had that happen. Now it's either going to happen before, during, or after. We'll get that that statistical work. We'll get all the statistics together after we have all those people, and then we're going to write a paper on it as well. I'm also recruiting researchers right now that want to get involved in it and become a part of something that 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 can help the phenomenon out a little bit more. Um, so the you can go over to the website, you can look at the layout of what we're trying to investigate, um, as well as my information. If you want to contact me, if you have experience, that's great. If you don't, that's that's okay too. Um, but just send me a little bit of your background so I know who you are. And um, yeah, so it's it's probably going to take a, a year or two, but uh, the the depending on how many people I have working on the team. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a good little project to have. And I've talked to people throughout MUFON and without, and not in MUFON, and uh, they all think it's a great idea because it happens more often than people think. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. And I was actually going to say, I feel like that was one of the, one of the first kind of things I heard about, like, UFOs and and even paranormal stuff. That seems to be one of the biggest things when it comes to paranormal stuff is yeah. batteries messing up, phones dying, cameras dying. And I've I've watched a lot of you know ghost shows on TV and things like that. And it's almost like sometimes the spiritual things will will mess with it. But I've also heard it with UFOs, um, car batteries dying, things like that, yep. getting stuck. Um, I actually have somebody that might be a, a possibly be able to contribute. Uh, Melanie Kirschdorfer, who was actually part of the Berkshire's UFO incident, she was not with Tom Reed, but was uh, at another place about 20 minutes from where that park is now, which is actually called UFO Monument Park now. But she actually, I believe she said, if I'm correct, to this day, she still experiences uh, malfunctions with certain technology and stuff like that when she's around it. Um, but she said that I feel like when, when I first interviewed her, she, her number one thing was that everything seemed like it was like blinking and things like that. Okay. And, uh, she had a lot of, a lot of issues with, with technical malfunctions after her possible abduction and, and things like that. But, uh, but that's really interesting, man. I, I'm looking forward to hear what that kind of yields because I imagine there's a lot of, 
situations where people's cameras probably did go bad or, or something happened and maybe they didn't even notice it at the time. But now right. they hear about this afterwards and they're like, hold on a second. That happened to me when I saw this UFO. My power went exactly. out. Exactly. Like exactly. So I actually have a, a cool story for you. This was in Maryland, not Pennsylvania, but you might have heard of this. How old are you? I am 29. 29? Okay, I'm 28, so I'm a year okay. younger. So you might actually know exactly what I'm talking about because it was all over uh, DC 101, Elliot in the Morning radio show after this. One night, my we lived in Brunswick, Maryland, in Frederick County, and me, my mom, and my aunt and my brother were actually driving on 270 heading towards Silver Spring, Maryland, where my grandfather lived at the time. And I don't know if – I guess technically you would say it was a, a meteor, uh, but a giant – what it was it lit the sky like lightning, but it was okay. a giant bright blue ball of fire that just literally shot across the sky. You could only see it for about three seconds. It basically looks like a gigantic meteor is the only thing to possibly explain it. Right. But it knocked the power out in, like, a large chunk of Frederick County, Maryland, like fully okay. knocked out everybody's power. And to me, I don't think meteors are supposed to knock your power out when they just fly by. <laughs> so I found that interesting. And my mom, she was screaming about it in the car. I'll never forget. She was always she was yelling about it. She was like, what was that? What was that? And, uh, the, my aunt actually, when she saw it, she was like, I, I, I don't know, a meteor or something like that. She was all tripped out. Me and my brother were kind of scared in the backseat. We were kid kids. <laughs> and, uh, but the next morning, I remember when we were driving back to Brunswick, it was all over DC 101 in the morning. Every, they were talking about, uh, or Elliot in the morning, he was talking about a bunch of people in Maryland saw this giant blue meteor come across the sky and it caused massive power outages all around the area. And there was no storms. No lightning, no thunder, no wind. So it wasn't anything like that that just they happen to happen at the same time. Whatever right. that thing was that went across the sky caused a massive power outage. And yeah. that's like an EMP, basically. Yeah, that's EMP like literally what an EMP does. Yeah. And so and I, I personally have never heard of cases of a meteor or an asteroid that comes by knocking out an entire city's power. So right. I, I feel like if I, I can try to look it up and see if I can find something to, about it. And possibly send you the story about it if that would contribute to to the project yeah, at Tech yeah. World War. Because that was a that was a really interesting case. And when I first seen you posting about that study, that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, I oh, will never forget that because that was possibly one of the weirdest things. And I remember when we were driving through Frederick, because we were still literally in Brunswick, Maryland, when it happened. And Frederick's like 15 minutes outside of there. And I remember when we were driving through a bunch of stores and stuff that would normally be like open with lights and stuff. It was very dark and right. like part of the highway was dark. And so like I remember it pretty vaguely and I'm like, man, this, that's pretty wild. That is um, crazy. Now, have you had anybody actually come forward for Project Bat Tech and, and give you any evidence or anything like that so far? So I've used a couple that I've done on the side already um, because some of their stuff has included stuff like that. Um, GPS is going wacky. Um, airplanes, uh, engines on airplanes going a little wacky as well. Um, and then every time the UFO disappears or goes away, they start back up. Um, so yes, I've had a couple that I've already put into that tech 404 that I am using. Um, so yeah, we're, we're getting stuff. Yeah. Man, that's it. That actually makes me think about the Bermuda Triangle. I didn't even think about airplanes. You hear about that. What, um, there was a case a while back. That was it. basically a guy that and he ended up, I don't know if they ever found him or his plane, but it was like a military plane that legit just disappeared. And he was literally calling out saying there was a UFO next to him before the communications yeah, yeah, were lost. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. uh, 
Yeah, he said his his gauges were like spinning and yep, stuff like everything that. Everything was going wacky. Control of everything, and then never found again. Right. That's that's terrifying. That actually, yep. you might be onto something really big with that. And if that helps, possibly, you know, predict UFO sightings or, or predict why that stuff happens, that right. could be a really important piece of research for the UFO communities. I think so. I definitely think so. Um, there was this case. Leonard Stringfield, um, he wound up becoming a real big pioneer in the UFO field. Um, he joined NICAP with J. Allen Hynek. He joined MUFON and Norfolk. He was a part of all three organizations, um, and his first sighting happened in 1945, three days before the end of World War II. Um, he, was, he was flying in a C-46 cargo plane with 13 other specialists, um, and they were flying over Iwo Jima, going to Tokyo. Um, and during their flight, they, they had, uh, I believe it was, was it three objects? It might have been three objects that came in and started flying on the right, the left side of the plane. Now, as soon as they came, they started having left engine trouble. Um, it completely failed. The pilots started, uh, came over the loudspeaker and said, we're going to dive, we're going to dive, we're going to dive, which means they're going to have to jump out of the plane and parachute down. Um, and then right when that happened, the UF, they started going down a little bit, and the UFOs took off to their left. And as soon as that happened, everything kicked back on. I mean, there was smoke coming out of the engine. He described it like it looked like it was about, it blew up. And as soon as they went away, the smoke cleared, the engine kicked back on, and they were completely fine and landed in Tokyo safely. So there's, <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 he was an intelligent, he had an intelligence, he was big in intelligence. Um, he was a high ranking officer. Um, and all the work that he did, I, I really don't see that being a fraudulent story whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so it's definitely one of the good ones, and you can that that just that right there tells you how long that malfunctions have been happening in UFOs yeah. all the way That's to this exactly. day. And there's probably ones before that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Man, that's that is that is scary. Me, that makes me scared to even want to go on a plane. I'm like sitting here, like next time I go on a plane, I gotta look out the window and make sure there's not a UFO chasing me or something. Man. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's. I feel like that's probably the worst time you would ever want to encounter a UFO is while you're actually in the air with the yeah. UFO. Now, um, that's that's pretty wild, man. So, um, other than Project Backtech 404, is there anything else you're working on on the side or any other projects? I know you have uh, UFO encounters worldwide. What's yep. going on with your show? You guys have interviews. What kind of stuff goes on on there? Yeah, um, so we just started a new thing. So every, once a month on the, on the podcast, uh, it comes out every Wednesday evening. I do it every Wednesday evening, and um, it, I'll either have a special guest on. I had some authors on. Um, next week, I'm going to have Philip Mantle on, uh, the big researcher from the U.K., um, last week I had uh, an author on that, that is investigating a uh, triangle area within North America, within the United States, um, probably like right down where Roswell is and a couple other states. Um, pretty okay. big stuff, really, really intriguing. He was on with his wife talking about his new book that they wrote about it, but he also wrote a book back in the day about it. Really good stuff. They have a little YouTube video. Um, and I'm telling you, the first time he sent it to me, I was like, you have to come on the show and talk about it. Um, so cool stuff like that that you don't hear about. Um, a lot of UFO history stuff that you don't hear about, like the, the first ever, one of the first ever documented um, abductions of a police officer while he was on duty. Um, you know, uh, the first sighting that J. Allen Hynek ever had that made him a true believer. Um, different stuff like that. The astronauts that you wouldn't expect to have sightings that did. Um, reading their testimony. I like to read testimony a lot and let people actually hear 
what they had to say and put on the record that people don't usually hear about. Um, Clifford Stone, who passed away, we dedicated an episode to him this year. Um, we're going to have Tom Carey that worked with Don Schmidt down in Roswell and has written books, uh, Witness to Roswell with Don Schmidt. He'll be on at okay. the end of the month. Um, so we're having a, uh, decided to start bringing more people on from the field, um, so we can get some of the best research out to the people and the public. Um, so, you know, we're trying to bring stuff that you don't really hear about all the time and different cases and history like that to really educate the people, you know? Yeah, so. that's. That's how I got into the subject, honestly, was was the history of it, watching uh, Hangar 1, the MUFON files right. yeah. on the uh, yep. History Channel with Mike Barra. Um, uh, or, wait, Mike Barra, was his was that was his Hangar 1, or is that somebody else? Uh, I think he might have been on there a couple times. He was on there, too, I think, yeah. as an expert. I love those shows. Ancient Aliens was cool, but the only yeah. part I, I don't like about Ancient Aliens is everything is a correlation to them. And some <laughs> of it go goes a little too far. <laughs> I'm like, all right, te- technically, if you want to go there, that could be a that could mean a UFO. But some of it is is kind of really honestly what got me into into the right. subject, watching some of that stuff. And I'm like, well, that really can't be explained. Like, you, right. there, there's no reason in the history of history we didn't have planes back then in ancient times, and even you know, just pre 19th century in the 1800s and stuff like that. We had some kind of technology, but not planes by any means or anything like that. Not at all. So when they say they see things in the sky, I can't imagine it, it being something, you know, man-made or normal. And so some of that stuff always interested me. And then when you get into the, the earlier 40s, 50s, 1940s, 50s, that kind of era, that's the stuff that really, like, dives me deep into it. I'm like, okay, so, like, this was like a whole era of UFOs with Dr. Heineck and stuff like that. I love the Project Blue Book show that came out on history. Yeah. But just in general, all of those cases back then, you're like, come on, this was like really, really going on. And nowadays, yeah. everybody's got a phone. So you see so many UFO sightings, and you're like, some of them are, are absolutely amazing. And you're like, dude, yeah. this, is, this is a UFO. But then now we also have so many phones and technology that I get a live stream that pops up on my feed that's been live for three days with a giant UFO over Thailand. And you're like, okay, come on. It's been a, it's been daytime for two days. There's a giant flying saucer bigger than New York above Thailand. Like, get this out of here. I'm like, come on, man. I hate right. the amount of fake UFO videos posts that oh, they get. I know. For the I know. It drives me nuts. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I, I get the art side of it. Like, if you want to do, like, some cool CGI UFO art and label it CGI, super dope. I think that's amazing. Absolutely. But when, like, I've seen – I've even seen people post pictures from, like, inside their kitchen with their dining room picture directly <laughs> behind them. And, like, you see the picture of the lights. And they and think like, it's a UFO. They see UFO outside. I'm like, <laughs> you did not. You saw the reflection of your dining room lights on right. your window. And I'm like, oh, man. But then, as always, there's always some great ones that come out, and, and you, they're just undeniable. The Tic Tac one uh, with the Nimitz and the Go Fast, the Gimbal. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know that that's three separate UFO sightings. Yeah. They yeah. Nimitz and the Nimitz video, and they think it's the same video of the object. But that's actually three separate UFO sightings. Yep. And they were all very close to water, very high speed. And they don't make a lot of sense. There's not, and I mean, I get some government, Chinese government may have technology, but, uh, I don't think they have technology that does what they do. And even no. the, are you familiar with the Beaver Utah footage? Not sure. So Beaver Utah had a UFO that was basically, they were filming, uh, like, 
background scenes for a movie or something, and they were actually using a drone to fly above this mountain range to get like a up top scenery of something. And basically, this blur just comes shoot across the screen. And you got to check this out because it's a it's a great video. And uh, the Science Channel did a documentary about it. And it's the the footage is one thousand percent authenticated. They did not find anything that had uh, like been altered with or anything. But when you slow it down, it literally looks like a mini flying saucer ish. Like it, it could technically be a different shape, but from what you see, it curbs and then shoots out of the mountain range and shoots right past this drone at an estimated like six thousand miles per hour or something. With once once they slowed the frames down, and it was teeny tiny. It's not very large. It would almost be the size of maybe a commercial film drone or something like that. It's not very big, right. but uh, but it's absolutely nuts. And there's just no there's nothing that you could do that could explain that. Nothing we have goes 6,000 miles per hour, let alone that fast off the ground. Like, right. it, it just, there's nothing that makes sense. And that's the stuff that keeps me believing in everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so to anybody coming up uh, into the UFO subject, uh, just kind of getting into this stuff, what kind of advice would you give anybody, say, if they wanted to be a MUFON investigator or even just do their own thing, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I would definitely say, say, like we talked about earlier, don't be closed-minded. You got, if you're going to join this field, you have to be open-minded because you're being open-minded enough to become a UFO investigator and believe in those. So you have to be open-minded to expect other possibilities. Um, just like with the Bigfoot thing or the paranormal, um, a lot of things now are happening where it's UFO and paranormal mixing together. Um, so just, just try to be open-minded. Um, work with facts. Don't, don't, no matter how, if you're an investigator too, don't, if you have the ability to elaborate on something and it's not true, don't do it. You will get more respect for doing the, for being true and having the facts that are there in front of you. Um, and work with people that are, that are straight minded and, and, you know, that are on doing all about the research. You know what I mean? Don't, don't do people that just like to look at any kind of video and don't jump to conclusions. You definitely can't do that in this field. That is the one thing that will get you in trouble. <laughs> um, seeing a video and being like, oh, that's real. No, you cannot do that. Even if it looks real and you think you know what it is, you still have to do the full investigation on it to make sure you do, that you can find the answers to it. Um, I mean, there's cases that I get now that I know I'm like, okay, I know that's a light coming from somewhere, da, 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 da. but I still go and do the research and get the longitude, latitude. I still check the ISS. I still do the, the satellites up in the sky. Do your, do, put your information in there and do it to the fullest because when you lack information, people don't want to hear that, especially the people that are really paying attention and the, the top researchers in the field. So that's my advice to you. And the best way to get information in this field is through books. Read books and get information through books. Some of the top researchers have great books out, and you'll learn the most out of books. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Do your due diligence, people. Make sure you fact check it. Hey, I love it, Jesse. It's been a, it's been great having you on. That's yeah. a lot of. You gave a lot of really good information, and I'm hoping this brings some attention over to your website, your podcast, so people can come hear some of the history of UFOs and even some of the more up to date cases. And and I love all the work you're doing with Project Bat Tech 404 and just in general your your field investigation skills with MUFON. I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this interview, man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I really do. I appreciate it all. Um, yeah, I definitely yeah. had a good time, and I like collaborating with other people, and it's, it's a great thing. So thank for you for sure. having me on.
Yeah, definitely, man. I appreciate it. Yo, we hitting hyperspeed across the finish line. Lights on the ship with like it's Christmas time. Uh, real recognize, real homie. And you've been looking unidentified. The government lied, the government lied. Why is it classified if there's nothing to hide? That's why we're looking for answers up in the sky.